Hey, welcome to The Madness Continues. This week, pretty excited. I've got Dave Schwenson on the podcast. So some people may have heard of this guy. Dave is the author of many different books, including How to Be a Working Comic, Comedy FAQs and Answers, uh, How to Be a Working Corporate Comic, and Comedy Workshop. He's uh, really super connected. He's had kind of a very interesting career, knows a ton of people in the world of comedy and worked for many years booking the improv. He's kind of got a strange story of how he ended up just basically in that position. But he uh, worked at both the Hollywood and New York improv and booked Night at the Improv on A&E. So the guy has a lot of knowledge in, in, in comedy and how to get money making comedy, how to get booked in comedy. Obviously, I'm extremely concerned with those things because I don't do a lot of it. <laughs> Making money, I mean. But he also has some interesting stuff on the Beatles. You guys should check him out. He's coming to Chicago soon. TBD. Check out the Chicago Improv page uh, for closer dates to that. I'll also have his website linked here. But the guy uh, is from the area, kind of, and Cleveland. So he's a Midwest guy. But without further ado, check it out. This great conversation I had recently with Dave Schwenson. <laughs> Yeah, that's what's so funny. I feel like uh, speaking of uh, wife and kids and your book, Ray Romano. Uh, I love that he's like, it doesn't matter what I do in my life. I'm just the annoying, <laughs> just the annoying yeah. dad to my kids. I'm like, yeah. that's so funny that like, yeah. <laughs> but but, that, oh, but so much of that stuff is so based in truth and everything. And Ray, you know, when I ran the New York City Improv, I mean, he was in like every night. We we were on the same softball team together. Ray Romano and me and Larry David was our first baseman. <laughs> Let me tell you, oh these guys. Oh my God, are... really? <laughs> oh yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, they were just annoying guys. That's all we oh, were. Oh my God, that's and, so and funny. My, and my, my doorman, the guy who worked with me at the improv, my right-hand man was Dave Attell. So oh, I'm like, wow. all right. <laughs> so these are the people I was working with every night. So I'm like, all right. You have the hell so, of a baseball team. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, we got a lot of laughs. I always said... Uh, I can mention a lot of the other comics around too. They were like writers for Seinfeld and actors and different things. And the, the fun part about it was, I, I always said I could, you think like you went to a professional baseball game, right? It could be the Cubs, the Tigers, the Indians, whatever. And you hear people like, uh, you know, yelling at the team, you know, heckling the team. You should have heard my team at the New York Improv. <laughs> These guys were professional. I mean, I, I always said I, I would pay a two drink minimum and parking. Just to, just to watch and listen to, yeah, just to listen to these guys. I'd want to hear Dave Attell just rip off insults to shit oh, talk the team, man. Would be... Well, Attell wasn't on the ball team. He wasn't athletic. Oh, we wouldn't it. let him play. Told him to get lost. He was my guy, though, at night when I ran the improv in New York. He was working as a door guy at that got time. Uh, and I used to throw him on stage. If, if something ever went wrong, if somebody was late getting there, if I'd get a call, it's stuck on the subway. It's okay. I'd grab Dave Attell and throw him on stage. And um, he was always my, my fill-in guy. He was right there. So every time, and I haven't seen him in a few years now, but every time I see him, I say, you know, you owe me, man. You owe me big time. Okay. So he's like, all right. So even I, yeah, even I got him in my second book, that comedy FAQs and answers. He's in that one. And I called him up. He says, all right, Dave, what do you need now? I said, I said, you owe me, man. So I'm doing this book and you're in it. Okay. What do you want? That's so funny. You so. well, like this is it's that's that's that point is well taken because you're like you even say it in the book that you're like yeah you're hanging out around the the club or whatever eventually somebody somebody can be like oh shoot we need to fill some time you, who can get on yeah. stage right now or whatever oh, i mean yeah. like it's yeah. it's such a good point what is yeah. uh what is uh uh steve martin says when you have to when when opportunity is looking for you you have to be within pointing distance exactly exactly I don't know. I've had that happen before when I was booking evening at the improv, the TV show, last minute, someone calling sick or they missed their flight or something like that. I'm like, all right, who's around, you know? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to get somebody good. I remember my, my go-to guy for that show was always like Bobby Collins or Charles Fleischer or one of those guys who they live or Norm McDonald, I think, cause he yeah. called me. Um, he never, he didn't know how to drive. So, <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, Dave, sure. I, I, I want to do your show, but I, got no, I, got, I <laughs> no. can't drive. <laughs> These guys would all call me, you know, because tell me when they're available. So I'd be booking the shows. I remember Norm. I can't remember now where he lived. I think he lived in Santa Monica. But he would call me to tell me he's available. He would always have to end it with Dave. Now, you know, I don't drive. So you got to put me at the Santa Monica Club. I can't come into oh Hollywood. What year was but, All right, all right. Oh, God, back in the 90s. Yeah. Some early 90s with him. But he would have been, so. at that time, was that just before or around when he was on SNL? 
uh, around that time. Yeah. Sometime around that, I think. What a funny man. He's just so funny. Um, You've just had a whole career. It's unbelievable, kind of. And and part of it is like you book an evening at the improv, you're working at the the improv in New York and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of crazy to me because part of what, how you describe in your book, I should let you know, by the way, I've started recording because this was so good. I just didn't want to miss any of it. Um, But uh, you started talking about the, um, the, like, how people end up in different places in show business and it's so fascinating to read because you're like sometimes it's like a guy just was there and then they put him somewhere and then like six months later he's like running the place like it's yeah like it's it's amazing how that stuff works i mean that's that's my story and you know I'm, i'm known primarily as a behind the scenes guy all right. I mean, I started out in New York. I was doing the open mics. I thought, you know, comedy act. I took the comedy workshop and I always say not as good as mine, of course, but, uh, <laughs> I took that in New York and, you know, wrote three minutes of stand up comedy. I got on stage, probably got like one laugh. And uh, I remember it was at the comic strip in New York. We did this. And, um, but I was addicted. I'm like, this is so cool. I mean, I, I wrote one joke and people laughed the rest of my stuff. They didn't, didn't laugh at all. But, um, I started doing the open mic scenes you know, and, and met some really cool friends. A good friend of mine was already doing comedy, so I kind of hung out with him. Yeah. But, you know, we realized to get really good at this, you have to be really dedicated. You have to get on stage. I mean, like every night. Some of these guys oh, yeah. were, were doing five, six, seven open mics a night. You know, you yeah. jump on the subway in New York, you in a cab, and it was fun. I really enjoyed it. But I, I realized to get good at this, you know, stage time, how important it was. So I basically started my own club. That's what I yeah. did. Uh, with my friend Chris Murphy, a comedian in New York, and it really became successful. Uh, I mean, it was a small club. I think it only had about 60 seats. It was a restaurant, actually, a bar restaurant, but they wanted something on the weekends. We did Friday, yeah. Saturday night comedy shows. And um, we probably did it for about six months. And that's where I really started meeting you know, some of the working comics. So I'll say mm-hmm. Dave Attell came down and did a set, Brett Butler. That's where I met Sean and Marlon Wayans, uh, some of these people oh who went God. on to become so, big stars. So funny. But, yeah, that's, but, that's so cool. But the thing is, they were professional comedians at that time, but they understood how important it was to get on stage. So I wasn't yeah. paying. We weren't paying anything. It was pretty, it wasn't an open mic. It was a booked show, but we were using open mic comics because, you know, I'm not going to get Jerry Seinfeld down there. I knew that. Um, but anyway, I was emceeing all the shows. So it was great. I was getting all the stage time, but, um, I wanted to get into the bigger clubs, you know, more, and it was hard to get in there because they had lottery systems, auditions, and I'm making a long story out of this, but I met the owner of the New York improv, Silver Saunders. Uh, yeah. and I was trying to look for a way to get in, get me a job at the improv and me and get on stage. And, um, she, uh, she hired me to be a bartender. She said, can you bartend? I said, sure. And I was, I was <laughs> I'll do, I'll do whatever night. I got to do to get in this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I was a Sunday night bartender. I went and worked one Sunday night behind the bar. And I remember I didn't make hardly any money because only people who hung out of the bars were the comics. They didn't oh, yeah. tip me anything. The no. people that were there, they don't the have anything room. to tip you. <laughs> no, they don't have any money. They're sitting there. And, and so, but the thing was at the end of the night, when it came time to count out the money, I could do it. Okay, because I mean, okay, that's the only thing my business degree in college came in good for. <laughs> okay, can I can count. do that kind of stuff. He can so, count beans. <laughs> yes, yes. So Silver was watching me, and she was like almost amazed that I was right on, like to the penny. She's like, because I guess the other people that she had had, the comics that were trying to get in, they couldn't count or whatever. I don't know. But uh, she said, Oh, wow. they could probably so we, count. They just probably, <laughs> just <laughs> probably some of that stuff disappeared before it ended up in the final number. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you're saying. Probably. I have no idea. But anyway, she said, would you like to be the assistant manager? And I said, sure. And then uh, two weeks later, uh, the manager left. And so she turned around to me and says, you're the manager. The first thing I did was book myself. (laughs) (laughs) I passed myself for the audition. But to be quite honest, I was not ready for the improv. Mm. I'd only been doing the open mics in my own room. And it became quite obvious to me that, you know, the, the comics at the improv were the best in New York city. I mean, these guys, were, you know, I mean, one time I went on stage to do like seven minutes and I struggled and the guy who went on after me was Rodney Dangerfield. Right. Oh my out. God. So, wow. um, you know, I, but I really took to like the behind the scenes stuff. So all of a sudden as the manager of the improv, I started getting phone calls from like the Letterman, David Letterman show or MTV, HBO, Showtime, you know, yeah. Cinemax, the, all these shows. And they're looking for comedians. They're asking me to set up showcases, auditions for the comedians to go on the show. And I really liked that. And, uh, you know, I really kind of took off on that thing. So 
at the New York Improv, I will say, yes, I performed, but I became more of a music act because I could play the guitar. We had a band on stage. So I would go up and I, I wanted to perform. I still get on stage. I still do about 40 gigs a year, but more, more corporate training, things like that. Um, but yeah, so I didn't take any spots away from the comedians because I wasn't really doing comedy. I was doing music, and then I would tell a few jokes, do another song, and I'm off stage. Yeah. Um, I did that for a while and then decided to go out to Los Angeles where I hooked up with Bud Friedman, yep. and the godfather of comedy, the Bud, everyone in the comedy business knows who Bud is. And I became his assistant and uh, also the talent coordinator for the Hollywood Improv. Wow. And then, then the TV show A&E's and Evening in Improv. This is a long story. What I'm basically saying is by no, the time I got to L.A., by the time I got out to L.A., I wasn't performing anymore. I was yeah. perfectly happy. I had my hours. I came in at 10 o'clock in the morning. I was done by 5 or 6. I had my office, had my computer, had my desk, everything else. And then I go back and watch comedy shows. And the comedians that made me laugh, I got to put them on television. Or I got to book them uh, at the improv. Honestly, that's – yeah. And, and if you love comedy, if you're a certain type of guy like you are who likes comedy, that's like – that's that's heaven. Like that's exactly. Yeah. You're like I get to go in and I punch the clock in, I punch the clock out. I hang out with all these awesome, hilarious people who I I like and and get to hang out with. It's like perfect. Uh, yeah. And oh, you. No, it's, this is what it's, I, it's, I just go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I took a say like I said in my book. One of the books it says it's a job with a lot of laughs, and it was the goal. You know, to go to work and laugh. And my gosh, yeah. this person's funny. He's making me laugh. Let's do something. Put him on stage. It's kind of just I think it's so cool because you the way that you talk about it in the book also is like you you kind of really do it's funny cuz when I first I'm not going to lie to you <laughs> Dave I feel like go ahead, I, go first, ahead and lie it's, for, it's yeah. comedy go ahead and lie <laughs> I know right yeah when I first started looking at the book I was like who like how who does this guy who's telling you about like how to be a working comic and all this stuff and then when I started reading it I'm like holy shit this is like the one dude who like really <laughs> knows all of these, he's had a 360 degree view of, of how to, how to be a working comic. He really is the only guy who could write this book. Like, well, you know, it was, let, uh, me, it, let me explain that to you because I've always considered that book and I've had two follow-up books to it, comedy FAQs and answers. And my latest one is called how to be a working corporate comedian. Oh yeah. I got that and one I, too, man. Okay. Well, I consider all three of those books to be business books. Yep. All right. I know there's a lot of books on the market that'll say, here's how you write a joke. You know, here's the, basically that's it. Here's how you write a joke. And I always tell my people in my workshops, well, if you want to be a clone of that person, okay. But I stress, you know, to be creative and individual and unique. But that's why the, the comedy writing tips that are in the book come from working comedians. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, how did George Carlin write his act? He told me. He gave me all his writing tips. You know, they're all in the book. And then as far as me... You know, I'm the behind the scenes guy. So I'm talking more about, you know, how to get an agent, how to work with an agent, how to get on television, how to showcase, how to promote yourself, that kind of stuff. So they're business books to me. Well, yeah. And nobody ever talks, nobody really talks, unless you're working with a headliner and you can get, and depending on the headliner, you can get a few minutes of their undivided attention. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, at the, mm -hmm. in the green room, you, it's kind of almost opaque in terms of like how any of this stuff works. And, it was very fascinating. Even me, who like I've been in it a long time and I know a lot of people, I just getting back into reading it and going through it, I was like, shit, man. I some of it is so common sense, Dave. Also, like I, I mean, I, I've encouraged everybody who I've spoken to to get the book. Uh, well, you thank know, and, you. And I, no, you're welcome. And uh, <laughs> and a bunch of people who you know who are my friends in Chicago were all like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." And he's gonna be here teaching the you know the at the improv and Schaumburg and all this stuff, but. It's um it's interesting because a lot of it is like kind of common sense stuff that you think, oh, of course you would have to do that. Like I had a day job in sales development for, you know, a long time. I did it for 10 years basically more or less to support myself and kind of always had side projects going on, was doing, you know, comedy pretty much the whole time whether it was improv or stand up and just never really trying to make a hard run at doing anything professionally in comedy, but a lot of the basic lessons from doing sales or marketing, you're like, oh yeah, follow up with people. Like there's a, yeah. there's a huge lesson that for some reason, it, when, as soon as you, when it comes to comedy, you start think it starts being strange for some reason. Like, uh, like when do I, how do I follow up? When do I follow up? What do I got to do? And having some very plain language, you know, explanation to just go like, mm -hmm. here's how often you should do it is exactly yeah. like that. It felt like, uh, it connected a whole lot of dots that I think had floated around in my head for a while. So I think it's, well, I think it's great that you've put it together. 
you know, that, yeah, it's, it, the, the thing is too, when I started doing my, you know, my workshops started first and that led into the, the first book, how to be a working comic. And, um, to me, it was like second nature. I mean, it was my job, you know, I mean, yeah. dealing with publicists, dealing with agents, dealing with managers, but I understood that the comedians didn't have that experience. Mm. Okay. Let me put it, let me put it this way. I know there's other, and I support comics doing workshops and making laughter around the world and all this great stuff. I'm all behind everybody. I'm all for them. But I always say the difference with me is that I was behind the closed doors. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I was behind the scenes. So when the tonight show or comedy central or Bud Friedman or any of those guys were thinking about hiring a comedians, I was in on the meeting. Here's what they're looking for. Here's what they expect. And, uh, you know, a comic doesn't really know that aspect. It's like an actor going for an audition. Uh, you know, what is the casting director? What yeah, are they looking for? Who are they going to yeah, pick? Yeah, that is such a good point. Yeah, you're in the conversation with the casting directors, basically. Yeah. I mean, they're calling me up and telling me exactly what they want, exactly what they need. So even when I do my workshops, and, um, you know, I tell people it's not an there's no such thing as an overnight success. I remember one time I accused Dave Chappelle of being an overnight success. <laughs> I was on a tour of us. I said, man, you were just funny from the beginning, and we were booking you when you were 18 years old, isn't it? And he was like, no, man, no. He started when he was 14 years old. And oh, his yeah. Mother used to, yeah, his mother used to drive him around to the open mics and stuff around Washington, D.C. And she had to go with him because he wasn't old enough to go into the bars. But so by the time he broke, and he broke young. He was like 18 years old. He, like Eddie Murphy was 19. Uh, but they had tons of experience already. So, you know, I try to explain that to the comedians I work with. It's not an overnight thing. There's no such thing in this business as an overnight success. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. when, when it happens for me, I'll be like, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. And, you know, I've written, and, and, and the fact of the matter is, too, and I'll, I'll put this into, I put things into musical terms also, because I'm a big classic rock band guy. Uh, yeah, I've written two books on the Beatles. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. It's a whole different career for me. But they think, well, these guys came over in this country back in 1964 and saying, I want to hold your hand, and they were an overnight success. They'd done thousands of shows before that. You know, they were playing well, when they were 14, 15 years old. Yeah, so, I, well, two, uh, points of, yeah. two points about that. You, one is they were in Hamburg in Germany for like, you know, they were doing like, what, yeah. three shows a day for a whole Oh, my God, more than that. They're playing, they're playing seven to 12 hours a night, you That's know, insane. six nights a yeah. week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's crazy to think about and then the other you bring them up in 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 the original how to be a working comic because you talk about uh, a manager and what a manager does yes. and you're like yeah a big part of what they not i don't want to say a big part but part of their success was coming from the fact that this their image got managed very successfully and effectively and when they came yes. over to the united states and were such a huge success that had been a long road already of getting them into the kind of product that could be very quickly and easily consumed by the American people. Yeah. Well, the same thing still happens. And what I'm doing now, let's go back to comedy because, you know, I still talk to uh, it, it. Social media is great. I'm still talking to the same people I work with in New York and Los Angeles. And, you know, I do the Chicago workshops and Cleveland workshops. And I've done them in Tampa for the improv. And uh, I found the same thing going on. Comics have to understand that this is a business. Okay, I think it says in one of my books, they may call it amateur night, but nobody's looking to hire an amateur. Oh, and some oof. of them, ooh, that yeah. cuts deep. <laughs> well, it's it's the it's the truth. It's the truth, and some just don't get it. You know that yeah, this is a business. How are you going to present yourself? Now you can be, you know, if, if you're if you're looking like you want to be a, a street guy or something. I mean, I remember you know Dave Attell going on stage or Dave Chappelle, you know, looking like they're right off the street and they're cool and that's who they are. Uh, but there's others that they're going in for an important audition. I'm not singling out those guys because they were great. They are great at what they do. They're two of my favorite comedians in the world. But, you know, you're doing a, a, a big audition or a showcase. You're hosting a show at, say, a big club. Let's say, it's called, let's say it's a Chicago improv. Let's say it's New Year's Eve, okay? And you walk in with a torn pair of jeans and a baseball hat because you just rolled out of bed and I'm a little hungover. And, okay, I'm going to do the show. That's not what it's all about. Hello, it's show business, Okay. <laughs> It's yeah. the, the entertainment industry. I have been told specifically by general managers of these big clubs that they like to hire people because when they show up, they're dressed for the part. You know, they look nice. Their audience is looking nice, and these people look nice. I've been told that. And, this is exactly, uh, yeah, it's to, so funny. This is what exactly, when I interviewed Bert Haas from Zanies, uh, yeah. I feel like he said a very similar thing to me where he's like, it just... 
it's like a basic he's like once we get to know that that's your brand like that's okay yeah but yeah he's like if i'm just trying to get to know you it just shows this profound lack of respect for like you don't like the club and the audience and just like he's like we don't know like if you're great of course you can do anything but we don't know we have never heard of you so right and uh that's that i feel like that really and it's funny because you bring it up and he's brought it up and i've heard other people say it it must happen a lot (laughs) i got news for you it's a fact i mean i don't make the stuff up i seriously i mean not only it's my experience but i'm talking to the club owners and the managers all the time and they're telling me this stuff. And I'm just passed. They tell me when I do my workshops, hey, make sure you tell these comics the most important thing they can do in this business is stick to their time on stage. Stick oh, to boy. their time on stage. And I, I preach this in my workshops. I say, hey, you're doing a five-minute set. That does not mean five minutes and ten seconds. It does not mean five and a half minutes. It means five minutes. And if you can't do that, then we're going to hire someone who can because the show, everything's timed. And oh, when, yeah. you're a headliner, when you're a headliner, you can do whatever you want to do. That's, different, that's a whole different ballgame. But when you're starting out and you're the opening act and all comics start out as the opening act, the MC, and then you move up to the second position, which is the middle act or the feature, you know, you got to play by the rules. I'm sorry. I mean, I've had to fire comedians. I hate to say that because they couldn't stick to the rules. Oh, and yeah. I've got, you know, I've got a staff that's on the clock. I got the box office open. I got the kitchen crew. I got all this stuff. And all of a sudden you're the opening act. You're given five minutes. You decide you can do a 20 minute one person show. <laughs> Yeah, no uh, way. Good luck. What? Yeah, yeah welcome to luck. never coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had other comics call me and say, Dave, I just got fired last night from this club and that club because I'm like, what did you do? Well, I got carried away and yeah. yeah you I went, went over, over your time. The last time I featured at, at the Comedy Castle, speaking of, uh, I did um, one show, I did 22 minutes. And mm-hmm. as soon as I got off stage... The manager was like, "You know, you went two minutes over," and I was like, "I'm really sorry. Uh, I, you know, a total apologies, complete mistake." And I had that was not my first show there. I mean, I've had mm-hmm. I've done comedy there a bunch, but and that was my second show, I think, of that Friday. And he was just like, "Just make sure that doesn't happen again, like all weekend." And I yeah. was like, "No, hey. no problem, man. Like, I, I definitely don't want to risk that one again. I'm not even sure." how that happened that time, but holy moly, was I sweating bullets. Oh, yeah. Well, I had one guy who took my comedy workshop and um, wrote a five-minute set. It was pretty good. And the very next day, I think the next night, he had an audition at the improv. There was a contest or something going on. And he called me the day after, and I said, how'd it go? And he says, yeah, it was the best, you know, best set I've done. It was even better than the workshop. It was great. I said, well, what happened? Did you win the contest? He goes, no, I got disqualified. I said, what do you mean you got disqualified? He says, well, I did five minutes and 10 seconds. It was only supposed to be five minutes. So 10 seconds over, he got disqualified. Bang. Yeah, they've got a schedule, man, and you gotta, you got to stick yeah. to it. Yeah, people, uh, some of the, you know, again, they may call it amateur night, but nobody's looking to hire an amateur, yeah. I'll tell I you mean, that. you're sa- Saturday night at Old Town Zanies in Chicago. you got three shows, man. You, yes. you can't go over time. they got to get people turned around. That's how many you know, uh, drink tabs that need to be paid for. That's how mm-hmm. many different, you know, people need to come in and out. I mean, it's a whole big thing basically. Yeah. And, and the comics need to understand we did that one at the New York improv and at the Hollywood improv Saturday nights with three shows and they had to start on time. And if I got people up there, they're dragging, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> it's a business. Okay. I mean, I've cut off the microphones on people. I'm like, okay, you didn't get it, <laughs> but oh you know, my, my next I show, mean, it's, you some of the descriptions in your book of people getting the mic cut or the manager pulling them off stage, man. I just feel like it's the thing of nightmares to think about. It is. I, I think you I've never want, had you anything. Set, you don't want your set ending that way. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you're doing a video. I mean, the, the comedians in my workshops, you know, they get videos. And I said, you don't want it to end with the music being queued up while you're still in the middle of a joke. And then all of a sudden the microphone goes off and the MC's walking on stage. You don't want it to end that way. And uh, most, for the most part, they listen to me and they stick to it. But there'll be one or two, you know, that, uh, okay, the music started and didn't get to end their set the way they could have. Oh, boy. Man, well, what do you, what do you see? I mean, like for a comedian, so like, so uh, this is not meant to be a coaching course for me, but I'm just curious, you know, I've been doing this, I've been doing it a long time. I know a lot of people. I think one of the things that first came to mind for me was I was like, after reading your book, is I thought, you know what, I really need to be writing more postcards and emails uh Mm -hmm. more often to people and i do that but it's kind of an ad hoc basis and especially like it just a real light bulb went off in my head when you were like 
just write whenever you have something good happen just write something to somebody and i was like yeah. oh my god i why like why wouldn't i do that like yeah you want you want to show that you're working uh you want to show that you're accomplishing something you know the the idea is you don't want to be you don't want to lose touch with anyone but you don't want to be a pain in the butt okay mm-hmm. uh, in my position i had especially like you know in los angeles where i had a lot of phone calls I'd have comics would call me like every day and their goal was, I'm going to call him every day until he puts me on stage. Well, it just got to be annoying yeah. and I don't want to work with someone who's annoying. <laughs> you know I mean? Any, any <laughs> talent booker will tell you that. Would you rather work if, if somebody's equally funny, two guys, two comics are equally funny. One is annoying and one isn't guess who I'm going to work with. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah. at the same time, you don't want to submit your material and to just fall off the map because there's so many comedians doing that. It's a competitive business. You know, I mean, so is getting into law school. So is getting an athletic scholarship. I mean, you got to understand this. So you want to send, you know, present yourself as a professional and um, make sure they watch your videos because if you're not in town showcasing, they're going to have to base everything on video, which is great, you know. And um, but you don't want to just send it and then forget about it. There were so many comics that did that. Well, I sent in a DVD, you know, or I sent a link to my website. I never heard from them, so obviously they don't like me. But they probably didn't watch you, you know, because there's so many other people <laughs> doing that. <laughs> and you've got to somehow stay in touch without being a pain in the butt. So I would say every three or four weeks, you know, if you have an email address that you're allowed to use, you know, send an email. Hi, I'm just staying in touch. Guess what? I just won a comedy contest at my local club or I just performed so-and-so, you know, whatever. Just, and just stay in touch. Hope you had a chance to look at my video. Look forward to hearing from you. Uh, or when is a good time for me to call? That kind of stuff, you know, without being a pain, um, but don't let them forget about you. Because I, I remember, and my stories are in the book, because you know, they used to use postcards more than they yeah. do today. Now, now I still get I, postcards. That's such a I good still, idea, though, I feel mm-hmm. like. It's not annoying. I feel like it's not, it, the number of people who would ever do that. And you can get them printed. You can get hundreds of them printed online for almost nothing. You know what I mean? For, right. For, for less than 50 bucks, I could get a huge bucket of postcards that I could physically send. And my bet is that you could count on... Unless I'm wrong, but you could probably count on one hand the number of c- comics who who do that to any given. You know, like I was, I keep mentioning Bert yeah. Haas, but I bet that he receives less than a dozen of the pro- since surely less than a dozen of those a month from people. Yeah, and I bet he remembers every single one of those people. That's the whole idea behind postcards. You put your headshot on the front with your name and a contact. And even if they, throw, and most of them go in the garbage. Most of them get thrown away. Nobody saves postcards. I mean, I always said, my gosh, if I had kept the postcards I'd received working at the Hollywood Improv, it'd be like a Hall of Fame. I mean, everybody <laughs> who's famous now, we're sending me postcards looking for a stage time. And I don't think it's as, as frequent anymore because everything is online. But that is a good point. And I do make that in the book, too, that, you know, there's no reason why you still can't do this because they still deliver mail. People still get, you know, bills. <laughs> they get they get their mail delivered. The postal service still does that, and you just want a postcard. And again, I'm not I'm not booking anything anymore. I'm, I'm doing my workshops, writing my books, and I'm booking myself basically is what I do for my things. Um, I still get postcards. I still get postcards from comedians looking for work, and um, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it's just <laughs> another it's it's another avenue for you to be seen, and that's what you got to stand out from the crowd. That's the whole thing. And yeah. just on the back, it's just, you know, you write, handwrite something. Hey, just staying in touch, hoping things good with you. Happy New Year. Dave. Well, <laughs> you know, boom. Well, maybe you can disabuse me, just to sh- shift gears a little bit here. Maybe you can disabuse me of something. I'm I'm almost convinced at, that at a certain level, uh, what do I want to say? Like, it's not like, there's like different tiers to, it feels like, to comedy and to entertainment. And it feels like at a certain level of entertainment and comedy, it it feels like you're you're kind of I don't want to say like you're interchangeable, but it's almost like look you you know we care. Can you get up on stage and do the trick? And if you get up on stage and you can do the trick, then you know you can make the audience laugh. You got decent jokes. You can hold an audience for twenty minutes, you know, mm-hmm. or or longer or an hour or whatever. Then then what? That now then after that, a lot of people can do that, or or there's an, enough of them that can do it. It's almost like what what else are you going to do to get butts in seats or to remind bookers that you exist or what other kind of, would you agree with that? Or do you think a lot of it, and I know a lot of it is about your act, but I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are in terms of like, you know, you know, how, at a certain point, does it seem like you get the, like I said, you can do the trick and then you got to do something else. 
Well, yes, I kind of think I know where you're going with that. A lot yeah, of maybe I'm, that's a very to... poorly communicated <laughs> question. <laughs> well, I agree with that, but I think I got it. Uh, a lot of it comes when your your status when you get up there to the point where you're so busy writing and performing that you do need a manager or you do need an agent. Okay, so mm-hmm. a lot of the the good clubs, I mean, they deal not so much with the comedians personally; they're dealing with their agents. Mm. So, you know, the headliners all have pretty good agents. And, um, you know, it's not like, I mean, Cedric the Entertainer is not going to get on the phone and call the improv and say, hey, you got anything for me in two weeks? <laughs> you know, he's not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I've worked with Cedric at the, you know, the improv and, you know, his agency, his, his company will set that up. And also, even when I worked in Hollywood, you know, this time of year, where you and I are talking now early January, uh, I remember the big agencies coming to the improv and sitting down with Bud Friedman and saying, mm-hmm. okay, here are my clients and we're looking to book the entire year. And they would go through the different clubs and say, okay, we got the Chicago club. We got the Cleveland club. We got the Boston club at that time, whatever. And, and they're mapping out, you know, most of their year, or at least six months in advance. And that was all done through the agents. That's so, it. Uh, yeah. They, uh, because all of those, you mentioned that, that all that whole tier is just people who already have, who who have agents who are just well connected in that in the industry. Yes. And you say in your book that that agents, you know, when you get to a place where you're going to need an agent, they will find They'll you. They'll find you. Basically. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I I I do believe that. Uh of course, you know, you do have to be seen sometimes. I I've, I've never ever encouraged anyone to move to Los Angeles or even New York, even though I love New York. <laughs> yeah. I just my gosh, it's my favorite city in the world, uh next to Chicago and Cleveland, of course. Uh yeah. but uh, you know, but I do know for a fact, again, these are in my books, you know, the interviews I did, especially it was Jeff Foxworthy and Drew Carey. Jeff mm-hmm. was in Georgia. Drew was up in Cleveland. They're both making great livings, you know, headlining clubs, area, you know, Midwest and doing all this stuff. But they wanted more. They wanted bigger. And at that time, they wanted to be on The Tonight Show. Well, to be on The Tonight Show, they understood. You know, they were sending out videos at the time, and there were videos were being sent back to them unwatched because they don't want to watch unsolicited stuff. They want to go through mm-hmm. agency to protect themselves. They don't, none of these shows ever want to be accused of stealing material, things like that. So you have to go through, you know. Oh these, yeah, Conan just Conan just went through that whole thing. Yes, yes, exactly, wild, yeah. exactly. So I mean, I've known some great writers that have sent out scripts to different TV shows, and they're come, they're sent back unopened because you have to have a literary agent or someone to submit that for you. But anyway, getting back to Drew and Jeff, they both told me pretty much and separately they had the same story. They had to pick up from where they were and make the move to Los Angeles to be seen. So they had to get on stage at the Hollywood Improv for the producers of The Tonight Show who would come in, and all the shows would come in at that time when I was at The Improv. And they would be discovered. Say, oh, my gosh, you're really funny. Where have you been? Well, I've been headlining for 20 years around the Midwest. You never caught on, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but, been, but also so the, the comics tell me when they go to different cities like Chicago uh, and they go back and their agents and managers will say, hey, do you see anyone funny out there? And say, yeah, there's this guy in Chicago or this girl in Chicago. She's pretty funny. You ought to you know, have someone check her out or whatever. And a lot of times they'll call the clubs, too. Uh, I know the, the club owners and club bookers, <clears throat> you know, we would send somebody out and we'd we'd wind up talking to the bartender or someone and say, huh, were they funny? Oh yeah. The crowd loved them. I did great business that night. Everybody was drinking. I just thought they were great. Okay. This is kind of, yeah, were this they is, funny? This is just happening. To, uh, I think with it, uh, in Chicago with the just for laughs. And I know that, uh, you know, Curtis, who was the you know GM and, and kind of head booker at the Chicago laugh factory has been doing a lot of work to try to get, you know, industry people in here to see a lot of Chicago talent because there's just yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent here and it was it was oh, cool yeah. to me it was cool to me to go outside of the city of Chicago to New York and L A uh, and 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 hear from from other comics and bookers that they respect a lot of Chicago comedy because they're like you guys hustle a lot and there's nobody nobody's making any money <laughs> so <laughs> so so you guys are do, you know you do you're very chicago comics are very serious and funny when they get here and um yeah that's been that's been pretty cool i think uh as well, well as, as seeing a, a real respect it, for it it's got a great comedy scene and even to go back all those years ago when i was booking evening at the improv i seem to remember having a lot of comics come down from chicago because, uh, again, it, it's great. You can watch videos. You just, you know, sit on your computer and turn on, you know, watch their, their videos on the websites. And that's your audition. You don't have to fly out in person like they used to have to do in the old days. Oh, yeah. And I, I seem to remember 
you know, again, I can't recall the names anymore, but uh, there were a lot of comics we came down that we brought down from Chicago to be on that, that show. Is, that is just great. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's cool to be, it's cool to be in that scene. I mean, it's interesting because it, each different comedy scene does kind of have a different flavor and character to it. And oh, yeah. I mean, pe- people just hustle hard in the, in, in the, in the windy city, man. And you're, so you're mm-hmm. coming out here soon to do the workshop at the improv in Schaumburg. I plan to come back again with me. It depends on what I used to live out there. It was no problem, but now I've moved, you know, I'm going between Cleveland and Chicago in different areas. We, my wife and I travel a lot. And I do these you know, workshops. Um, I, I don't want to come out there during a snowstorm anymore. The polar vortex. <laughs> yeah, I never even, I never even heard the term uh, yeah. polar vortex. until I was living in Chicago and doing a workshop oh, yeah. at the Chicago improv. I'm like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. So even we finished one in November, and I was like, I'll see everyone after the snow melts. After we're oh done with God. the uh, yeah. snow melts, we'll be back. But yeah, I, I hope to be back. I haven't scheduled anything definite yet, but you know, maybe it could be March or April. Uh, I hope to get back. And you know, we only take 11 people in these workshops. And um, you, you know, it, it do, is. Do you have like a vetting process, or is it just the first 11, or how does it, how 11, does it work? First okay, 11. Got it. Um, you know, so some people will have like, it, it's great. Some will have like no experience at all. Okay, they just know they've always wanted to do this. It's been on the bucket list, whatever it might be. Uh, even now, we just finished the holidays. So I have a couple of people in my next workshop who got, this, got my workshop as a Christmas present. They have no idea what they're getting into, just that their family <laughs> thinks they should be funny and go on stage, so they're going to come to me. Yeah, and, uh, well, that's it, funny. It, we expect it, you it, to it, fail in fantasy football. Here's a stand-up <laughs> comedy course. And it's amazing how many of those people, as a matter of fact, the one guy who's going to be hosting my next show in Cleveland started out that way. I'm sure it's a gift. It was like, okay, but he fell in love with what he's doing and he was actually pretty good. And he's actually getting good stage time and he's at that level now where I can say, hey, you come in and MC my show. You can do 10 minutes up front. So he's really excited about that. But I also have people who've taken the workshop a number of times before, they're repeats. And I always say it's not that they failed, not, not, not all, but they just want to come back and write a new, new material. They, oh, yeah. you know, they want to keep adding to their act and it's, it's kind of like a writer's group. So I get everyone's opinion. It's not like what I say is the finished product. I'm like, well, that's pretty funny, but I can't think of what else you should say there. And some of the workshop will say, hey, why don't you say this or talk about this? And we do it as a writer's group. And uh, so they will come back to write new material. And um, others are looking to move up a step in their career. They're already MC in some place. They're already doing these things, but they want to be, say, a feature act. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, and, I, and I also get a lot of public speakers like Toastmasters. A lot oh, yeah. of like, the, yeah, a lot of like, you know, they do humorous uh, speaking contests. Or even just get natural in front of a crowd, working yeah, the just, audience for a bit. Yeah, yeah pe- people who are just looking to g- improve their personal brand from their day job or whatever. Right. And the other thing, too, I find out from the working comics who have taken my workshops, they say, you know, again, stage time is so important. And, and I always say open mics are necessary evil because some of them could be really bad. You're just performing in front of a bunch of comics. And I'm like, you know, just yeah, get up there. It's an opportunity to do your act. everyone in the city of Chicago. <laughs> yes. Well, I've had a number of comics who've taken my workshop over and over and over because they say just one of our shows at the improv is worth about 20 of these open mics where you have no audience and a bunch of people just want bathroom humor. Uh, you know, we, we usually get pretty big audiences and they're regular people. They're not other comics. It's a real comedy club or the real comedy show <clears throat> and we also end it with a you know regular improv act a headliner from the improv will come well, in and do you know cool. close the show so they're getting yeah. a great show for like and, and we cut the price down like it's five dollars for a ticket to get in so i'm like invite your friends and family and your co-workers your enemies whoever you want to see on stage because when you're done and it's, it's amazing too i say you're a star i said you got to remember most of the people sitting in this audience want to do this and they don't have the nerve they don't and have they the guts, see you man. Are, Yeah, they see you. It, it, it always happens. They always laugh at me when I say that. But then after the shows, you go around, you look, and everybody's getting their picture taken. They're getting talked to by people they've never seen before. Come up and say, oh, my oh, gosh, yeah. that was so funny. I can relate to this, what you said. I can do that. And it really is an experience. Um, yeah. That's very, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. I feel like I this, this was kind of my thing that I've told a lot of people in my day job is that I've like, look, you if you've ever thought about doing it, you really should just go do it. That like mm-hmm. it's just it's something you should go do. I mean, it's a huge part of my life. It's probably the most consistent part of my life, 
started doing improv when I was like 14 years old, which everybody who's listening to this podcast is fucking tired of hearing me talk about. But <laughs> I've been, <laughs> been doing it since I was a kid. And then, you know, did met Mark Ridley when I was 16. I had two uncles who were stand-up comics. You might remember or or might not remember Joe Belaska, who ran Joey's in Detroit, Michigan yes, for yes, many of years. Course. Yeah, and so that was my uncle. And then the other oh, wow. uncle uh, was a guy named Mike McClure, still is named Mike McClure, who... He was a comedian at the Comedy Castle for a long time. He knew Gilda Hauser quite well. I'm not sure if you remember her at all. I'm not sure if you're connected with her. But Midwest comic, really great working road comic, very funny lady. She taught a stand-up comedy course, and I took her course when I was, you know, <laughs> just... I think I had just turned 16 like four months yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that, that's great. I used to, in my workshops, we used to go as young as 13. Now, we stopped doing that, and I we raised up to 18, and mainly because, well, number one, the younger ones always thought you had to be dirty to be a comedian. They would come yeah. in and say, well, I'm going to talk like that. i say, you're not talking like that in my class. Well, what do you mean? It's stand-up comedy. Yeah, but you're 13, 14 years old. You're not going to talk like that in front of your parents sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not going to yeah. be my fault. Oh, and my then, God. That, I, was, that is so funny. That is yeah. so funny. I can, can I just tell you this real quick. I sure. it was the that was the worst part of doing comedy when I was in high school and in in, in early college. That for the first few years I did it, like my comedy every time I would do stand up at Ridley's in in Detroit, I would get my parents would come out, my cousins would come out, my grandparents would come out and like any joke that I had that was even the least bit in any you know risque direction, I just would hear it ad nauseum from my whole family. Like it was well, just, it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, boy. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, you know, and the thing is, when I, when I talk to everyone, I said the most important thing, first of all, you got to find out who you are. Who's your comp, what's your comedy voice? And again, this is, a, you know, I'm quoting stuff from my books. Cause I mean, I really got this information from experience working comedians. And I remember Rondell Sheridan, also one of my favorite comics is in my first book. And he said something like, you know, he says, if you swear in real life, well, then, of course, you're going to swear on stage. But if you don't swear in your real life, why would you go on stage in a comedy club and all of a sudden be dropping the F-bomb and everything because you think that's funny? That's not what makes a joke funny. And, mm. you know, it's, it's the structure. It's, it's what you're talking about. It's a setup. And, it's uh, the punchline. It's your point of yeah, view. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, if that's the way you really talk, if you're dropping the F-bomb all the time, well, of course, that's how you're going to talk. But don't yeah. start doing it just because you think the audience is going to find that funny. Yeah. You know, they're that's not. Good. You're just putting on airs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I just love. You have a section in the book where you talk about like anybody who's given you comedy advice, and then you're like, like stand in one place and don't pace around, and you're like, well, why don't you tell that to Chris Rock and Robin Williams? And like, there's something you yeah. mentioned it earlier, and I want to repeat it again. It's like something that I've thought of a lot, and I've done a small amount of 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 teaching comedy to other people throughout throughout my life, just because I've done it for so long and and have a sense for how I do it. Is is exactly what you said, which is like, look, I can tell you what I do. But I can't really mm -hmm. tell you what you need to do. Like you, you're the only one who can figure out what your process is, and then you can do that process. I can give you tricks and hints and tactics that I use to try to, you know, figure out how I work. But this is a process of you learning yourself, basically. Right. I mean, that's what stage time is so important, and you learn that, and it is what they call your comedy voice. I never even heard that term, so I went out to Hollywood and I started working out, you know, for Bud Friedman and Mark Lana with the improv and. I think one of them was talking about the comedy voice. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, who's that person on stage? What's their persona? What is their perspective on things? You know, I mean, how do they, your comedy voice. So I tell people, I said, that's nothing that you learn, again, overnight. It's something that comes from doing this. And how do you feel comfortable on stage? How do you react to certain situations? What topics do you want to talk about? How does the audience respond? And I'll give you a great example of this. And I do this example in my workshop, too. Uh, there was, when I ran the New York City Improv, uh, we would have auditions on first first Sunday of every month. And you'd, it was like a lottery. A lot of clubs do that because it'd be hundreds mm -hmm. of comics lined up outside and you only got like 15 spots <laughs> yep. that night during the show for three minutes. You got to draw a number. Yep. <laughs> well, um, anyway, so I, and, and Silver Saunders, who I just loved, she would sit there, she would watch the auditions and I'd be back there too as I was managing the club. We'd talk about it and stuff on who we liked and everything else. And there was one comic, uh, his name was Jeff Lipschultz. And we really liked him, just a nice guy. We all knew him from the open mics and everything, but he was not that funny. And so he auditioned the Sunday night, and I'm like, eh, no, nah, he's not that funny. And the door guys are the same way. But next thing you know, Silver passed him. He passed the audition. I'm like, what? What am I going to do with him? Yeah. So just because someone was on the roster didn't mean I had to give them a spot. 
So yep. he would be calling, you know, say, hey, I'm available tonight. They would call back later, said, I get any spots? I'm like, yeah, Jeff, I'm sorry, I had nothing for you tonight, you know, because I just didn't think he was good enough for the shows. So every once in a while, Silver would write their name in the, we had a performing book, that would go months in advance. So I'd look and see a month in advance, Jeff Lipschultz had five minutes, like on a Thursday night or something. I'm like, oh man, Lipschultz got a spot. And even the door guys would be like, oh, what are we going to do about this? So anyway, but he was just a really nice guy. So, okay, fast forward a few years, all right? Now I'm working at the Hollywood Improv, and I'm sitting there, and I got a TV in my office. So I'm watching Comedy Central or something, okay? They're doing a roast, and they introduce the Roast Master General, Jeffrey Ross. And he comes oh, out, my and God. Going, yeah, of course. <laughs> I picked up the phone. I immediately picked up the phone and called my friend in New York City, comedian Chris Murphy. And I said, Jeffrey Ross? He goes, yeah. I said, what happened? He goes, I don't know. He got funny. <laughs> oh my god he, he got just, so funny yeah <laughs> but yeah but he, he found out see he wasn't doing that when he first passed the audition he wasn't doing the the roasting kind of stuff the 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 making fun of people whatever he does and he's brilliant at it the guy is great but he was not doing that it took him all that time working out on stage to find out who he was his oh, yeah. comedy voice and and they're all like that i mean i've got stories i mean again the, the ones who are starting out when I was in New York. I mean, Sarah Silverman and David Tell and John Stewart and Chris Rock. I saw these guys. Yeah, and Adam Sandler. You know, they were they were open micers. Oh man! And, well, uh, uh, yeah. This is <laughs> this makes me feel this makes me feel like I'm like, dude. I've been doing this for the song. I should know my fucking comedy voice by now. But <laughs> I, I think I have a sense for it. Hey, the, the, yeah. hey, let me tell you this. Into my into my early 30s, it started to change to I'm an angry man. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're in your early 30s. You got a long way to go to get angry. Yeah, okay? right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's pretty good. No, I think that's cool because there's maybe some kind of satori moment that starts coming to you when when this stuff starts hitting you. And and some people, I think I think there's something. I think there really is something to this that you're saying because you know I know some comics here in Chicago, you know who they they just hit it at a, a, a early and they got a sense for who they were and what their voice is. And I think a guy named Chris Higgins, who is a, uh, a very funny guy here in town in Chicago. And he, uh, he just is a, he's like a weed stoner dude who that's his whole comedy persona. And it works really well. Cause that's who he is. That's a hundred percent who he is. And, yeah. uh, I think it's. I think that that stuff. You know, it's just a. It's a process of figuring it out a little. bit. You can't fake it. You know, it has to be right. authentic. Yeah, then when the audience can tell when you're faking it. The audience knows when you're lying to them. And stand-up comedy, a lot of it is creative writing. I mean, other examples of people talking about that stuff that never happened at all, but they make it seem very real, or it fits in who their persona is, and it fits them. But you know, sometimes people just make up. And a lot of early new comics, I used to do that when I started. I thought, oh, this is gonna be funny. I'll write a bit about this, and there's nothing's true about it at all, and they see right through it. So, yeah. you know, I want the audience, you know, again, I'm mean, just going through my workshops. They want, they want to feel they know you, you know, what makes you stand out from the pack? What makes you different? Why would I want to hire you over somebody else? I already have a Jerry yeah. Seinfeld. Those yeah, differentiators. Have, you know. What are we going to, yeah. are you going to be another? And I get it. It's like, there's a, there's a, there's this weird comedy backlash. I think that's going on slightly because, or at least had, I don't think it's, I don't get the sense it's happening anymore, but for a while, you know, there was this feeling of like, oh man, there nobody's booking any white straight male comics anymore, and and partially I can understand it because I'm like, dude, there's a million of us. Like, there's so many. If I'm a booker, I'm like, oh, is it another dude, straight white man with a beard talking about how he can't get laid? Like, that's just yeah. every well, comic in on the blue line in Chicago. Yeah, well, then you got to figure out a way to be different. I mean, that's it. Like I said, we already have these comics doing this stuff. We don't need another one. So what makes you different? What can make you stand out in the crowd? I'll give you another example of this that I use in my workshops. And you know, a lot of comics make fun of this guy thinking, well, he's a hack and all this stuff, and he's not. One of the funniest guys I ever worked with was Carrot Top, okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, first time I, I ever met him, he came into the Hollywood Improv, and he, was, he and his manager were dragging, each dragging a trunk. And I thought, and I just come up <laughs> from New York, so I was kind of stuck up myself with a New York attitude. I'm thinking, oh, God, here I go, a prop comic? And he went up on stage to do only five minutes, seven minutes, whatever it was, and I had tears just streaming down my cheeks when he was done. It was so funny. But there was a time when every comic was doing uh, jokes about convenience stores or airline food, yeah. and, uh, and it got to the point where you, know, you just couldn't take it anymore. You said so this is something different. Do, yeah. Yeah, and I remember telling them, I would do auditions for Evening at the Improv, and I would say, just don't do any jokes about airline food or convenience stores unless you can make it different. 
So anyway, and this was not an audition for Evening of the Problems. Another night, like a Thursday night, Carrot Top was in there and he was killing on stage. And I'm sitting in the back with some of my friends who were booking the other shows. And next thing you know, Carrot Top opens up one of his trunks. He says, yeah, I went into a convenience store the other day. We all looked at each other and said, oh, man, no, not Carrot Top. He's not doing a convenience store thing. But he pulled out this name tag that was like three, three feet long with his name, Men of Hoshnopoli or something like that. <laughs> and it was, it scored. It got big laughs. Well, and I told him afterwards, I said, you did a convenience store joke, but you did it different. You did it as Carrot Top would do it. Nobody else can do it. You just did. Yeah. And, well, this uh, is exactly. Yeah. It's very. It's interesting because I heard you know uh, Conan said to uh, Pete Holmes uh, the first time. I guess he he watched Pete Holmes's audition tape or whatever, and that tape was Pete talking about how wonderful magic is, and how mm-hmm. he's like ma- magic is like the most like wonderful thing in the world, which is so funny because and and, and the quote from from uh, you know from Conan was basically like only he's like a hundred comics could write jokes about magic and 99 of them would have been how crappy and stupid magic is Mm -hmm. and your joke was about how wonderful it was in the world he's like you're the only comic you're the only comedian who could do that there's something that's what you're talking about like being on you know remarkable or being um you know unmistakable distinct interesting differentiated is maybe how people would have you know, company right. would say that there's something there that you're just like, oh, nobody else can do that that in the way that that guy just did that. A hundred right. people could have written convenience store jokes. Only Carrot Top is going to take a, a three by three foot long by two foot wide uh, yeah. name tag name out tag. of a trunk. Yeah, I mean that's what I tell the, the comics. I mean, what makes you different? What makes you unique? What is it about you? Okay, the audience wants to know something about you. They don't want someone who's up there just throwing out jokes. Those days are gone. But even the ones who did that, okay, back to the old days. Again, I worked with Rodney Dangerfield plenty of times. Yeah. Rodney's very LA. different than Don Rickles, who's very different yeah. from Shecky Green, who's very different right. from, yeah, but, but those H- were Henny Youngman. Guys. <laughs> yeah, those were, I call them the old-time guys, but the audience already knew their persona. They knew what Rodney was. I mean, they, they knew him, okay? But and, and the same thing today with headliners. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno, Tim Allen, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning all guys. Uh, they can all, they can just walk on a stage. You already know what to expect from them. They could just start right in the middle of their act and you're with them all the way. Cause they're so well known, but the newer comics don't have that advantage. Okay. Mm-hmm. They walk on stage you know, and they go, well, who do you think you are? Funny, funny person, you know, make me laugh. What is it about you? And if they just start telling jokes, I mean, well, where's that coming from? You know, who are you to tell me this kind of stuff? I want to know a little bit about them. You know what That's, I mean? I, I mean, feel like, like this is causing my gears to start turning, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, they want to know you. And then when you walk off stage, even though you're unknown, and uh, again, this is one of my books. I've been talking about Bobby Collins. You know, he gets off stage like, oh, man, who's that guy? That's so funny. We talk about his dogs. Talk about his dogs. Oh, yeah, that's Bobby Collins. Yeah. You know, they may not remember someone's name when they're starting out this business, but they'll remember what they do. And they'll mm. remember their bits. And so I'll always be like, hey, let's go see that. Oh, that girl's coming back that talked about, you know, uh, the way she drives a car. I can't think of her name, but she has that good bit. And let's go see her. And you know, it's what separates you from the pack. What makes you different? What is it about you? So, oh, you know, I, I have, I have the oh, comics and you don't have to be too. Now I got to hire you as a coach, man. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, too, I mean, you don't have to be too intimate or anything deep, dark secrets. I mean, that kind of stuff. Who cares? You know, I want to know what you think about, you know, what, look, like looking at a red light. You're in the car. What music you listen to? You know, where are you going and why are you going there? That kind of stuff. What is it about you? You got kids. You got a job. You got pets. What? You know, who are you? Lots of writing about yourself. There. Yeah, tons of. And I yeah. notice, I know, I I notice a lot of. I mean, it's a big. I've started to write a whole lot more about this recently, and I actually think it's, it's it's been working out really well for me. I've never been a a, a guy. I mean, in the long time that I've done comedy, the only time I've ever really talked about myself is when I first started, because I was in high school and that was my whole life. So that's all I ever talked mm-hmm. about. But. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really stopped doing that. I started writing about all kinds of other different stuff, and I just made this return to starting to talk about myself again. And I think it really makes the, it palatable to the audience. I mean, even if they don't know you, if you get up and you do two minutes, three minutes of jokes just about you, yourself, who, where you're from, who I am, what my perspective is, and then you get into literally any other material, it feels like now they know you. And yeah. in that, just that small amount of time, it makes a huge difference, uh, especially if I notice, especially if I'm outside of the Midwest, if I'm in Chicago, if I'm in LA, if I'm in outside the country for sure, 
but like it, it that little bit it gives someone an insight into just your personality and who you are. Right, and it's you know a lot of it can come different ways too. I mean, like Bill Maher is into politics, but he makes that clear from the very beginning. He's opinionated about it, so you understand what his opinion is and where he's going. You know, mm-hmm. and even like it, it Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, the uh, the best observational comic of our generation of our time. You know, he's not telling you that too much about himself, but he's telling you about his opinions about things. Yeah. Oh my god! You know? One of my favorite moments in comedy is watching the episode with him and Bill Burr on comedians and cars. And Bill mm-hmm. and him go get a cigar, and he's talking to like his wife, and she's like, "I." He's like, "Man, Jerry, I hope he's doing okay. He's just so mad about everything." And and his wife was like, "What are you talking about, Jerry? Like, look at his comedy. He's like, there's nothing. There's no emotion there." And Bill was like, "If you don't understand the rage that is behind this man's comedy," and I thought mm-hmm. that line is so funny, where it's like you can see it too. I think a little bit as a comic, as you watch Jerry Seinfeld, and you're like, "Man, Jerry is <laughs> Jerry is tired of this world being ridiculous." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, and a lot of his stuff, and not just singling him out, but, you know, a lot of the comics, they always say a lot of great comedy is based in truth. Oh, yeah. And I'll truth say, and you comedy. know, Del Close, yeah. man. Yeah. And, and it always depends what comic you're talking to, because someone will tell you, hey, comedy is 80% truth and 20% lies. And the other ones will tell you it's 80% lies and 20% truth. It's how you want to tell it. Okay. Embellish it and that kind of thing. But, you know, I know for a fact when working in New York, some of those episodes on the TV show Seinfeld were based on true stories. Oh yeah, um, I, I think there's a. I saw that I, mean, I was just, there. I, oh my <laughs> I saw god, that's the so funny, next, man. You know what's on the air. I'm like, hey, so, Dave Schwenson, yeah. man, you're you're you're. I'm, you got to keep. You need to. You need your own podcast. I mean, you just need to talk to to a lot of these people to get out these like these like road stories that you got. Yours are. It's funny though because yours are technically not road stories. They're almost like the guy who sets up other road stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's well, perfect. It's like they're all revolving around you who's in the home base or something. Well, you brought that up. I didn't bring it up, but, you know, I do have a podcast. Whoa, Dave. Let's okay, hear about but it, man. It's, it's, it's very different than, uh, you know, like the road stories, but it's called What's So Funny with an go. exclamation point at the end. What's so funny? And what we do is we just finished our first season. Uh, I don't know when the second season's starting. It's the production company and everything. But... Um, I take, I always have a rotating cast of three co-hosts that are with me. And uh, what we do is we go back to the old classic comedians and their classic comedy albums. And we play, you know, we play different tracks and we talk about it. We talk about the history of comedy. We talk about their influences, who they've influenced, what their story is, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, this last season we covered, I think like Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul and Carol Burnett and Steve Martin. And, Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking, I just pulled it up on Spotify. Uh, yeah. you guys got Shelly Berman. I mean the classic yeah. Shelly Berman. Uh, let me see what else you got. You got, uh, Lily Tomlin, Steve Martin, Lenny Bruce, of course I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing, uh, don't call me a comedian. I'm Lenny Bruce this weekend in, uh, in Chicago, actually interviewing Ronnie, uh, Oh goodness. I'm having such a brain fart right now. Uh, the main, the guy who plays <laughs> Lenny, uh, don't call me a comedian. God, darn, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, uh, darn it. This is going to drive me nuts. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Ronnie Marmo. Good gosh. That is just like the worst uh, that I, that I, I'm going to have to edit all that out. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Marmo. Of course. I know Ronnie Marmo. <laughs> I just thought of his name and didn't have a brain fart in the middle of this podcast. Yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah. But yeah, that's. <laughs> Anyway, that's that's what we do. We look at these, and, and I've had a blast doing it because, you know, I get to look back at these guys and, and see, or these guys and girls, you know, even, whoop, you there? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, oh, I just heard a beep or something. I don't know. Someone's uh, trying to call me on the other line. I'll, I won't answer. Um, but, you know, I get to go back and explore myself, like the history of comedy kind of stuff. So, I mean, I mentioned, you know, it's one of like Moms Mabley. I mean, how many yeah. people know Moms Mabley? Oh uh, I've heard of her. I mean, yeah. I've seen old clips of her and stuff, but then we really get into what she was doing. And that's uh, that just so cool. Yeah. So it's called What's So Funny. And all the, the first season is online right now. I mean, it's, uh, we're, I don't know where it's at. The, the Front Porch People, who produce it, thefrontporchpeople.com. If you yep. go there, you'll see What's So Funny. And all the episodes are available now, the first season. 
And again, yeah, you can check them out all on Spotify. I'm looking at them right here. Pretty cool. I, right. I, I Mom's Mabley in season two is going to be amazing. Hopefully, you guys. Well, get she's up there right now. Oh, is no, she? she's already on there. She was season one, so I'm looking at that right now. It says new oh, season here, but that season's know. already aired. We finished the new season, so that has uh, Vaughn Meter did the JFK impressions. Uh, yeah. You know, Nichols and May and Lily Tomlin. Uh, so they're all online streaming right now. That but yeah, that came cool, off man. my. I had a radio show probably about ten years ago. It was called What's So Funny. And my producer is Joan Andrews. She came up with the ideas. And, um, but yeah, I did. It was on different radio stations at that time. And then uh, it's a kind of a show I scripted and played tracks and talked about. Then I started bringing in some of my friends, the comedians who were touring around. So I had some fun guests with me, like go from Chicago. John Caponera was on with me once. Bobby Collins, the Three Blonde Moms, Wendy Liebman. Um, I can't remember all of them anymore, but we just had a blast. This is and then we just took so a hiatus. Cool, man. Yeah, I, I got to get a hiatus. I, I can't believe I didn't find this when I was doing all this research on you. Uh, there you go. I've got to. I've got to go. I've got to go listen to this. Um, <laughs> we're uh, we're coming up on time a little bit. I want to be respectful of your time yeah. because I got to go out and start grinding these open mics, buddy. But um, there you go. I, yeah, <laughs> you do that. You no... do that. I'm dressed. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to be on the set. <laughs> there is no so. rest for the wicked. Uh, <laughs> Let's um so 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 Dave, where can uh where can people obviously we we've got what's so funny which I'll put in the show notes but and and we've got we've got your book uh mm-hmm. which I will also have linked in the show notes on Amazon how to be a working comic you have two sequels to that uh, comedy yeah. FAQs and answers which actually is uh came and then the more I think when, when the uh the how to be a working corporate comic that's that just came out not this year didn't it. That, that came out in, yeah, 2019. What that was, is how one thing evolves. You know, I never expected to do any of this stuff, okay? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. How to Be a Working Comic <laughs> came out of my comedy workshops. I used to give handouts to the people that took my workshops. They would say, how do you get an agent, Dave? I'd say, oh, I'll write it up and give it to you next week. They'd come and give them a handout. Then I would talk to a comic, a working comic. How did you get your agent? They would give me the advice. I'd hand that out to everyone. It got to the point where I was handing out like a 120-page handout for my workshop. So like, oh, this could be a book. Yeah. So I got a literary agent. She got a publisher. It came out. It did pretty well. It had five printings, How to Be a Working Comic. And then it was updated just a couple of years ago. Uh, but Comedy FAQs came out of when people started reading that book. Really, from you're talking about comedians around the world before we went on the air, I think. Uh, I started receiving emails from comics literally around the world asking me, hey, we've read How to Be a Working Comic, but you didn't cover this. Or how would you think about this? So I started saving those questions, and I would answer them how I thought they should be answered. But for every question, and there's like 40-some of them, I talked to a comedian. Yeah. So like, for instance, someone said, hey, is it better to work clean or dirty? Well, I don't know. Let me ask George Carlin. He's known for that. So I called up George because I'd worked with him, New York and L.A. He just could have been nicer uh, helping me out with that. And There's a whole long list of all the comics that really helped. Uh, you know, I, it has me down as an author, but really it would be nothing without the comedians that helped me, the working comics. And in the FAQs and answers, a lot of, they're also agents and managers and talent bookers and publicists who I've worked with that really came through. And then the How to Be a Working Corporate Comedian was, um, it was an online class. That really? again came out of my, out of my workshops. And I have, uh, you know, the corporate market as a whole, you know, there's different markets. It's not just comedy clubs. There's the college market, the cruise ships corporate market, this kind of stuff. And um, I found out I was working with a lot of Toastmasters, a lot yeah. of people who did public speaking. Um, and I myself was an agent in the corporate market for a lot of years. And I do a lot of corporate speaking myself. I keep saying that. I, I'll do like about 40 gigs a year based on mm-hmm. my other books and things like that. So um, it became an online course to put together a corporate comedy act and how to market yourself for the corporate market and all that stuff. And um so I was working with people online, but it kind of got out of hand. It kind of like really, because they had homework <laughs> and all this stuff, and I'm supposed to deal with homework, and we had private coaching sessions and everything. I'm like, okay, this is actually a book. So everything <laughs> that was in that course, including, this, including the homework, the sessions, all that stuff is in that book. And we just came out with that in 2019. Well, I just bought it. Uh, I, I bought it, uh, and I bought the FAQs while we were talking. Uh, because oh, great. I gotta, Very cool. I got to read all of these things, man. Got to make a do- I think I I think I I think I most in a year made uh like 2 grand doing comedy. So <laughs> I need okay. to, I need to, it's hey. better than zero. So I need to aim at 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 uh, tr- uh what uh uh 100xing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's got to have a goal. This is a new year, so go for it. Well, uh, hell yeah, Dave. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast, man. Please um 
uh, I'll, let's stay in touch on Facebook because I'd like to know what sure. your dates are for coming out to Chicago, and I would encourage everybody to take a look. They will be posted, I think, on the Improv Schomburg website for when you're you're coming out uh, to yeah. you know whenever you work those dates out. So, um, and then yeah. I, you know, like I've been telling everybody in the scene to go check out your book, and and they're going to hear about it when this podcast is released because uh, okay. I am a very popular podcaster here in the Chicago community, Dave. Let me just tell you. Well, like sure. I'm... That's the only. That's the only reason I agreed to be on this. Come on. I mean, I heard you're big time. You're the yeah, big you name can, in Chicago comedy. You, you can use this as a credit if you want. Yeah. Okay. Well, next time I apply for a driver's license or something, I'll say, "Hey, it's on Brendan's podcast. Come on. <laughs> let me let me pass the eye test without having to squint. Okay, give me that. All right. Well, man, I don't know. I just, I. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. I really enjoyed your book, and this and it was great talking to you. This is just this has been a lot of fun, actually, man. I really appreciate it. Okay, great, very cool. I had a good time myself. Yeah, well, take care. Have a good time at the gym, Dave. <laughs> There's never a good time at the gym. I just want to get it over <laughs> with. All right, all right, Brendan, you take care, man. Thank you very much. Yep, you too. Bye. All right, goodbye.